Welcome to our latest collection of talks, How to Worry Like Crazy. You know, this entire collection really has been based from our heart to really speak in practical ways to the issues that matter most in your life. We get it, life is busy. And the older you get in life, the more you end up doing, the more responsibility you have, and there just seems to be more things that you can worry about, get anxious about, get stressed about. And we wanna talk about that and talk about the ways in which if we can just avoid the things that cause the greatest amount of worry and stress, how much better would our lives be? We hope you enjoy this talk. Hey, for those who don't know me, my name is Courtney and I'm on team and staff here at church and and, and I'm as shocked as you are that I have a girl's name, but my mum is in church today. (laughs) So you can ask her what that's about later on. Hey, we've been in a series where we've been talking about worry for the last couple of weeks and it's been awesome because I think worry is something that every single person in this room battles with, right? Worry is something that comes to our doors almost on a daily basis. on a a daily basis and sometimes it can throw us off course, it can throw us off track even if you are the most faith-filled Christian in the room, worry can still sneak up on you. I don't know about you but I absolutely love the cinema. Like, I absolutely love to go to the cinema. Maybe it's because nobody can talk to me, but who knows? I've always been a fan of cinematography, of the sound design, of the, of the way that they light things. I'm a little bit of a camera nerd, and so I really, really love to go to the cinema. And a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a few weeks, it might have been a few months. By the way, I have no concept of time, so... When I say a few weeks ago, it actually probably could have been a year ago, not really sure. But anyway, a few weeks ago, me and Beth, my wife, we decided that we were going to go to this new cinema because it had just opened up. And so we got in the car and we headed down there and, um, and I absolutely love to go to the cinema and I don't even mind paying all of the money for all of the sweets. No problem. I know that some of you guys are against that. Beth is against that. She wants to go to Morrison's or B&M and shove a load of sweets up her top. But I told her Proverbs 11, because I work at a church, so I said, Proverbs 11, babe, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And the world of the generous gets larger and larger. So I don't even mind paying way over the odds for the popcorn, for the sweets and for the drinks. And, and I want to get the chairs with all the, um, all the gadgets, the cup holder and the recliner and all that kind of stuff. And so we're at the till and we're doing this. And I'm, and I'm saying to the, to the lady, I'm like, yeah, give me one of those massive popcorns like so nobody can see me behind it. You know, it's like the same height as you. Give me, give me one of those massive bucket drinks. You know, the ones that are like, like this big, they're like, they're like a paint tin, you know, like those things that plasterers mix plaster in, a gorilla tub, somebody was telling me it's called. It, they're like that, so I was like, yeah, give me one of those. And the crazy thing is, is I'm not even a massive lover of fizzy drinks, but I was like, give me one of those anyway. And then they've started doing this thing now where you can get nachos and cheese. Has anybody seen this? It is sent from heaven. Heaven. I'm sure the cheese is just melted plastic, but it's so good. It's so good. It's not good for you, but it is good to you, just saying. And so I said to the woman, give me all of the nachos you've got. And I know that when I say all of the nachos, you think that I mean a lot of the nachos, but actually I mean all of the nachos. Give me all the nachos you've got. And so we get all of this stuff and we can barely see each other and we pay for our ticket and we're about 600 pound in debt when we're about to walk into the cinema and we sit down and the trailers start. And I absolutely love the trailers. I love the previews. I love all of that kind of stuff. And so we're sat there and the trailers are going through and I am getting super excited. But then it happened. You see, I'd been chugging this drink for ages and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be going any lower. 
and the trailers are going and the cinema's filling up and it's getting busier and busier and it dawned on me, I'm never going to make it through a 90-minute film without wetting my pants. Now, this is a problem for me because I've been known to boo you if you get up out of your seat, especially at the start of a film. I will shout you down in a cinema. I'll do it so that when you turn around, especially if you're a big dude, that it looks like it wasn't me, but it was Beth, but I will shout you down. I will boo you from the seat. And so I knew this and I started to have this panic mode and I started to worry and freak out and I started to peer pressure myself into not going the toilet through the worry of what I might do if I wasn't in this position and somebody else had stood up. You ever had that inner monologue with yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, if I stand up out of my seat and everyone's going to boo me, I'm just going to feel so silly and all this kind of stuff. But in the end, I decided there's no way I can hold this. I can't hold this. And so I conquered my fear, I conquered my worry, and I tried to do that thing. You know where you try and like rip off a plaster real quick? Well, I tried to do a similar sort of thing. I thought, if I just jump up real fast, maybe no one will notice. And so I jumped up out of my seat really, really fast, and I forgot that I was holding the giant Gorilla Tub drink in my hand. And I don't know whether you've seen these things, but you can't actually hold them with one hand, and I don't know how I'd managed to do it, but I gripped it like this. And as I jumped up, because my body moved, my hand flexed and I squoze the drink and the lid came off and about 15 liters of Coke come pouring out. Now, I'm a good church going boy and the Lord will look after those who come to church, right? So no drink got on me, but it did, however, go on the guy next to me. And I mean, like all over his crotch, I'm telling you. He should have been embarrassed if he was going to stand up. There was, so, <laughs> there was so much coke over this guy. And you know in that moment when you're filled with worry and you don't really know what to say? And so I just looked at him and I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Can I buy you another drink? <laughs> you say some stupid things when you worry, right? You say some crazy things when you start to panic and spiral and, and freak out. And then you know when you're in a panic mode and you're in worry? and everything just kind of slows down. Well, in that moment, as the film was starting and all this commotion was going on as a result of my giant Coke, I realized that the girl that was sat next to him was looking at me with these huge eyes. And I looked at her like, I am so sorry. And I don't know why I said this, but I did. And I said, <laughs> I bet it's your first date, isn't it? To which she replied, yeah. <laughs> so somewhere out there, because of my worry, I've either ruined that relationship forever or someone is telling a great story at a wedding right now. But either way, crazy things can happen when you worry, right? So much stuff can get out of hand. Things can get messy. You can get frustrated. Some stuff turns into a real nightmare as a result of you spiraling out of control, which otherwise wouldn't have really gone that way if you hadn't not have worried. It can just turn into a real messy situation. And, and I believe that we're a generation of warriors now, aren't we? We're a generation of warriors. I recently learned that a study was done and um, these guys did a study in 2015 and they, they found that 86% of people describe themselves as warriors. 86% of people that were asked said, yes, I am a warrior. Imagine labeling your life like that. Imagine if that was a describing factor for your life. But we're a generation of warriors, aren't we? And they also found, which I think is super interesting, they found that on average, the average guy and girl worries at least 
one hour and 50 minutes every single day. Almost two hours a day. Sometimes you can kind of go, ah, that doesn't seem too bad until you add it up and you go, man, that's like over 12 hours a week. Some of us are so worried about our jobs that we spend a 12-hour work shift worrying about the fact that we've got to go and do a 12-hour work shift. We're a generation of worriers. We, we worry about all kinds of things, don't we? We worry about our finances. Well, that makes sense. We worry about our finances. We worry about our family. We worry about our kids, our health. We worry about being late. And get this, if you're anything like me, you worry about being on time too because you don't want to be the first one there. Like, we don't want to be late, but we don't want to be the first one there, right? So we worry about all kinds of things. We worry about not having a job. We worry about our careers. We worry about Brexit. Oh my gosh, what is going to happen if we don't get a deal? We're a generation of worriers living in a nation of worry. We drive to church and we worry that Josh and Haley aren't going to sing the songs that we, that we want to sing. And if they don't do Waymaker, we worry that we might not even have a faith come Monday morning. I'm telling you, do Waymaker. <laughs> we worry about all kinds of things. And if you're sat there thinking, well, I don't worry, then you should worry that you're a liar because we all worry. And what's ironic is this, is that have you ever noticed how much worrying only ever really leads to more worrying? Nobody in my lifetime has ever come to me and said, yeah, I had this problem. And, uh, and so I got up early and I worried about it real diligently. I set some time aside. I got, made a coffee and sat in a chair. And, and I just really worried about it for a few days on end and everything kind of worked out. <laughs> I've never ever heard anybody say that, but worrying does definitely lead to more worrying. And the reason is this, in the words of Admiral Akbar, worry is a trap. A little Star Wars reference for you there. You got it if you're real. Worry is a trap. And the definition of a trap is something that you can, get in, you, you can get entry to, but not exit from. And isn't that just like our worries? Like it's super easy, isn't it, to start worrying about something. But it's so much more harder to get out of it, right? It's real easy to enter the trap of worry and start to blow some, blow some things out of proportion and, and let things get messy and let yourself spiral and let your thought patterns go off a way that they wouldn't usually go. But it's not so easy to get out of it. And I, I love this, um, this definition. The verb definition of a trap is this. It's to deceive someone into doing something contrary to their interests. To deceive someone into doing something opposite to the thing that's actually going to benefit them. Worry is a trap. And what's crazy is this, is that sometimes in life now, we sign up for our traps, don't we? We almost volunteer. We see the advert or the letter comes through the door and we're like, whoa, free credit. Well, sign me up. <laughs> I know it's a thousand percent afterwards, but free, it's free now, so sign me up. But the thing is this, is when the free, the no percent, the free term is up, they're going to want pay in either way because worry is a trap. And I'm fairly certain that nobody in a trap has ever really achieved anything other than being in a trap. I've never heard anybody writing great books. I've never heard of anybody accomplishing anything great when they've been confined to a trap, right? The good news is this, is that Jesus spoke a lot about worry. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we want to live a life that's worry-less, if we, if we want to live a life that's not so filled with, with, with worry, then what is it that this guy said? What is it? that Jesus said, because I believe that in the Bible, when Jesus speaks about worry, there's some stuff that can really help us navigate the seasons of worry in our lives. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. It's the first book 
um, in the New Testament, which is about halfway through the Bible. And if you haven't, don't worry. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. But this is Jesus speaking. And this is what he says in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than KFC and Nike Air Max? I'm just checking that everybody's still with me on the Bible. Good. 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't see, uh, sow or reap. They store, no, store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can, one, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I love this because Jesus is saying worry is a trap. You can't, you can't add anything to your, to your life. You can't add anything to anybody else's life when you worry. It is a trap. Verse 28, it goes on to say this. And why do you worry about your clothes? Have you not seen how YA dress with bad feelers? No, I'm joking. <laughs> he doesn't say that. This is my version. <laughs> we love you, YA. Verse 29. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass on the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now I love this bit, verse 33. But seek first, there's the action. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is it just me or do sometimes... You read the Bible and think, man, that sounds super simple. Like it, it almost seems too simple, right? In fact, sometimes you can read the Bible and you, become, you can become infuriated because it seems super simple when it's written down on the page, but it's way more complex, isn't it, to apply it to your life. And I love what Luke said last week. He was talking about worry. He said, if you want to live a life that's filled with less worry, then make sure you're running with the right people. And I think the reason is this, is because as Christians, sometimes with these scriptures, we can, we can kind of be super unhelpful, can't we? We've all got that friend. We've all got that friend who when you're worrying or when you're struggling with something, you go to confide in them and their face lights up. <gasps> you know the one I'm talking about? You're like, hey man, I'm really struggling with this. And they go, <gasps> let me tell you something. And they always say it like they're very wise, don't they? And they just say things like, Matthew 6, 25. Didn't you know it's a worry to sin? And you're like, yeah, cheers, great. That's great. That's really helpful, isn't it? And I bet you're picturing that person right now, aren't you? It's all very quiet. I am. It's cool. It's Josh. <laughs> I bet you're picturing that person. And if you're sat there thinking, well, I'm not picturing any person and you're too holy for these shenanigans. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody else is picturing you because we all have that friend, don't we? We all have that friend who, while what they say is true and their intention is good, it just doesn't really kind of help, does it? To turn around and say to someone, hey, you're worrying? Well, just don't worry. It doesn't really fix any problems, does it? And so the problem with this verse is that you can read it and you can almost become deflated because it almost feels like Jesus is being flippant when he says, hey, just don't worry. Like, just, just don't worry about what you'll wear or what you'll eat or, or where you'll live or where your kids will go. Just don't worry about any of that stuff. And if you're anything like me, you can start to think, well, God, do you even care? 
God, do you even care what I face on a daily level in our modern day worlds? God, do you even care what I've got to go into tomorrow and face in the workplace? Jesus, do you even care about the Klarna bill that I've racked up? <laughs> you all right? <laughs> do Waymaker. <laughs> Jesus, do you even care that my laugh is so loud? <laughs> but do you even care about the relationship, God, that's gone sideways? Do you even care, God, that I can't pay the bills? Do you even care about the addiction that nobody else knows about? Jesus, do you even care about the emotional pain that he or she puts me through every single week? Because if you did, maybe you wouldn't be so flippant to say, hey, just don't worry. It's all good. Just don't worry. Maybe if you actually understood Jesus and cared about the, the childhood wound that I just can't seem to get over, the overdraft that I just can't seem to get ahead of, maybe if you knew and actually understood about all of these things, all of these modern day worries, then maybe, just maybe, Jesus, you wouldn't be so quick to say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Just don't worry. Just don't worry. Maybe you wouldn't be so quick to say, God, just don't worry. And so this can be real difficult for us in our faith. And so we have to ask ourselves a question of what is it that Jesus is actually trying to say in this moment? We have to go deeper with, this, with these kind of verses. What is it that he wants us to know the most? What's interesting to me is Matthew, who writes this gospel, he used a very specific word in the Greek when, Jesus, when he records what Jesus was saying about worry. And I don't know whether you know this, but in the English language, there's about 170,000 words, right? It's a lot of words, isn't it? I know this because when I asked Beth about how her day went, she's able to fit them all into one sentence. <laughs> it's a real skill. So I've counted. There's 170,000 words in the English language, and that is a lot of words. But get this, in the Greek, <clears throat> there is 5 million words and 70 million word types. So you can imagine how difficult it is sometimes to effectively transcribe what Jesus was saying in this moment, because we just don't always have the English words to convey the depth of what he said. And in this gospel, Matthew records that Jesus uses the Greek word, which was meneo. And you say it like this, mer, as in he's a mer, him, as in who, him, yeah, he's a mer, Nah, as in, nah, he's all right, Tim. Oh, as in, oh yeah, I've met him now. He's an absolute mer. Mer, meneo. And what's interesting to me is this is what's called a compound word, right? Who cares? Let me explain. <laughs> a compound word is a word that's made up of multiple other words, okay? So mer, meneo is made up of two other words, merizo and naus. Now stay with me, stay with me. Merizo means to divide and naus means the mind. So when Jesus says in this scripture, hey, don't worry, what he actually is saying is don't divide your mind. So when he says what seems to us like an oversimplified statement, when you stack it against all of our modern day problems that terrorize us, that cause us to live a life that's filled with worry, he actually says something that matches up against our list of worries. He actually doesn't say something that's super simplified and almost feels like he's lacked, he lacks understanding of what we go through on a daily level, on a daily basis. He actually says the word meneo. Don't 
divide your mind. Let's read it again with the Greek substitute. This is what it now says. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not divide your mind about your life. And all of a sudden, it kind of comes to life, doesn't it? It kind of feels real now. Doesn't seem like Jesus is being so flippant now when we understand the depth and the level of what he's saying. Don't divide your mind about your life about tomorrow. Don't live with your mind on today, but really half of it is on tomorrow. Don't divide your mind. And I wonder how many of us right now have come to church, but we're living in division. We're living in division in our marriages, right in the middle between happiness and heartache. We're living in division in our finances, right in the middle of being broke and almost making ends meet. We're living right in the middle in our careers. And we're like, God, do I try and stay and get the promotion or do I just pull the ripcord and try and get a new job? We're divided and it is a trap. It's a trick of the enemy to keep us, to keep you divided because division only leads to one thing and that is isolation. And that is exactly where he wants you. You live your life divided when you choose to focus on what you don't have rather than what you do have. When you look at what you don't have, forget what you do have. You live your life divided when she wants sweet and sour, but you want crispy beef. What is it with women and sweet and sour chicken? You live your life divided when you want UEFA Champions League and she wants Downton Abbey. Not in my house though. We'll give you a Bible verse, Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, okay? Downton Abbey is on. Boys, if you think it's exciting when the red men are scoring in the last minute, let me tell you, watch Downton Abbey because when the chauffeur starts copping off with one of the royals, it gets real good. <laughs> let me tell you, in our house, we'll serve the Lord. Get Downton Abbey on. It's a spiritual experience. But we live our lives divided, don't we? Right now, we live in a politically divided nation. No wonder we're anxious. No wonder we're living, worrying like crazy. We're divided by our skin color, our pay scale. We're divided by the badges on our cars or the shoes we wear or the school we go to or the language we speak. And all of this division causes us to fill our minds with worry and it almost paralyzes us and then we get stuck and we anchor ourselves living in division. We live in division when our energy is split between today's priorities and tomorrow's problem. You ever done that? You got to work or school or uni and you get in and you've got like a raft of things to do. You've got like a ton of fires to fight, a load of emails to do, a load of phone calls to do, but you can't really seem to do anything because all you can think about is what you've got to do tomorrow. <laughs> That is half-minded living. That is divided living. And Jesus is saying, don't divide your mind. If you want to live a life that's filled with worrying like crazy, then keep on living your life divided. Keep on living distracted. Keep on running with the wrong people. But if you want to live your life worrying less, then I believe you need to be thankful more. You need to be thankful more because being thankful, living your life with a grateful heart, not pretending that it's all good, but with a grateful heart is the only antidote to the poison of worry. It's the only key to get you out of the trap of worry. Because when, you, when you're thankful, you shift your focus on what you don't have and you shift it onto what you do have. And I promise you, when you do that, it will bring you peace. And peace and worry can't coexist. When you lead your life with a thankful heart, 
It's, it's an attitude, it's a, it's a position and it's a repositioning of your focus. This is God, I don't really see it my work colleagues way, but thank you Jesus that they can see this problem from a different perspective. It's an attitude that says, God, this isn't the best car in the world, but thank you, Jesus, that I have a car and I don't have to get on and off public transport. Some of you have forgotten the fact that you don't need to get on public transport is a blessing. Have you ever been on Mersey Rail lately? <laughs> it's a gift. Being thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says this. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances, give thanks. Lead your life with a thankful heart. Don't be weird though. <laughs> Don't be weird with it. Don't be weird with your gratitude just because you come to church. You know those people that you know that you do life with and you're like, man, and they come to church and they've got like a broken arm and you're like, hey, your arm looks a little broken there, buddy. And they're like, well, thank the Lord I fell off my bike. Being grateful is not, is not living in denial. Being thankful isn't living in denial. It's the evidence of living with, with perspective. It's not burying your head in the sand and hoping that everything will go away, but it's a position that says, God, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not where I am, but at least I'm further than yesterday. Thank you, Jesus, that even though I'm not clean, thank you, God, that I've gone one more day with no drugs and no alcohol. It's a position, it's a perspective, it's a heart attitude that says, thank you, God, because even though this marriage isn't restored, we went a full day without arguing. When you live your life with a grateful heart, peace can flood your life. If you want less division, if you want less worry in your life, you have to find a way to be thankful more. Just be thankful. Just lead your life with a grateful heart. My mom, um, in fact, I would love to get my mom up on the stage. Can you, can you welcome my mom? <clears throat> Come on, mumsies. You think the church can make some more noise than that, right? She just whispered that I'm a favorite kid. She has five, so that's, that's actually quite a big triumph for me. And uh, my mom, come, come over here, mom. This is my mom. <laughs> Sometimes it's weird because people think that she's my sister. One time I went in a petrol station and they thought it was my wife. It got real dicey for a moment. And, uh, she doesn't look, doesn't look old enough to be my mom, but she is. And, uh, and this woman is the most resilient woman I have ever met. This woman has been through more storms than probably most of us in this room. This woman has weathered storms that would probably have taken most of us out. And I've learned two things from my, from my mom. Is uh, how to dance, like no one's watching. <laughs> it's true. And resilience. And being thankful for where you're at, even though it gets really bad. Even though it gets real hard. Resilience to never, ever give up. Um, we got a picture of my mom's dad, my grandpa, Jimmy. This is my granddad. And, uh, and a while back, my mum, it got real dicey and it got real out of control for a moment. And um, 
You see, my granddad, he, he had a marriage in England and he had three daughters here. And that didn't really work out. And we don't resent him. We don't, we don't judge him. And we just miss him, you know? And, um, and so what he did was, he decided that he would take his, himself off to America, to Seattle. Caleb, can you give me a hand, bro? Just, just, come, just come right. And so he went to America and he kind of started over, which is cool. And he had another family in America. And that didn't really work out either, you know, because life just happens sometimes, doesn't it? Life just happens. And the problem comes for my grandpa when he was in America, he always felt guilty that he wasn't in Liverpool. And so he'd get on a plane and he'd come all the way back to my mom and her sisters and he would be here for a while and then everything was good. And then he'd get guilty again. And so he'd take himself off back to his other daughter in America and he'd stay here for a while. And after a while, sure as sure, he'd get guilty again. And this is how he lived his life for a while. And I want you to bear in mind that this man was a great man. This man was not a weak man. He had a great job, he had a great family and he was loved by a lot of people. And I want you to know that this can happen to anybody. And so for a while, he, he lived his life going back and forward and he would feel guilty over here when he came here. So he'd go back over here and he'd feel guilty again and it would start to tear him apart. And so he'd come back to Liverpool and he'd feel guilty even more. And then he'd go back to Seattle and he'd feel guilty even more until he find himself right in the middle, living in Mermanaro, living in division, torn apart by guilt on either side, torn apart by fear and fear, torn apart by what he couldn't seem to reconcile in his own mind. And I believe that if he had someone to tell him, hey, just be thankful, just be thankful because you're blessed on both sides. Even though it looks like it sucks for you, you're blessed on both sides, but he didn't have anyone. And so one day he decided, and I can't ever understand or, or, or appreciate the level of worry and fear that must have entered in his mind and blinded him to the fact that he thought the only way out was to take his own life. That's what he did. You see, when you live your life in division with a mindset that's absolutely worried like crazy, you're gonna end up doing some dangerous things. You're gonna end up doing some not so good things for you. You're gonna end up making decisions that you wouldn't usually make. You're gonna end up going down roads that are not designed for you to walk on. You're gonna end up getting your life stuck, torn apart with the torment of living in division. But God has not called you to live in division. He's called you to live in deliverance. 